you have a choice. You can look at it as a challenge and try to overcome that challenge, or you can look at it as a, a stop sign. There's no stop signs for me. The fact that I'm blind now doesn't mean that I'm not able to do the things I always want to do. I'm an adventurer. This is the Adventure Mindset Podcast. We're your hosts, Tanya and Adam, travel filmmakers living in our camper van and out of our backpacks for the last four years. Through our experience and through conversations with others, we discuss travel, adventure, courage and mindset. You'll hear from guests who remind us that life is short, that personal growth matters and that adventure is for everyone, whatever adventure means to you. Subscribe to join our community. This is the Adventure Mindset Podcast. Welcome back to the show and happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, everybody. It's a beautiful day here. We are down in the southwest of England in Jits. We're in Devon. We are parked up on a field and I'm literally looking out over some rolling hills at the sea, over my microphone out of, out of Jits. Lovely. <laughs> I mean, I think this is this makes it for a very posh, scrappy podcast studio. Yeah, I mean, I'd take a scrappy van as a podcast studio with a view like this over a perfectly polished podcast studio in London any day. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a brilliant episode for you today. Earlier this week, we had the pleasure to sit down with Christopher Venter, an adventurer, author, speaker, who at the age of 40, the unthinkable happened and he went blind completely. Yeah, but instead of letting blindness stop him from leading a full life, it's been the absolute opposite. Almost a decade since losing his sight and Chris has been climbing mountains, he's been kayaking, he's driven some unlikely vehicles and he's even built his very own house. And in this episode, he explains his story, what it's like for him losing his sight, his motivation, the mindset that he's had to take on since losing his sight and the challenges he faces and how he experiences the world as a blind adventurer. As always, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Spread the word of our podcast so we can continue to grow this community and help inspire other people. Yeah, so... Without further ado, we don't want to run this intro any longer than it needs to be because we just want to get stuck into Chris's story and he tells it so well. So here you go. This is Chris, a.k.a. The Blind Scooter Guy. Chris, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on the podcast. We are absolutely floored by your story and I cannot wait to get stuck in. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. It's an honor myself. <laughs> and um, tell everyone where you are right now, because we're we're over in England, and you are um, you're you're currently quite a, a stone throws away. <laughs> I'm in South Africa, down in the Western Cape, just about an hour outside of Cape Town, in a area called Hermanus, famous for for the whales. Amazing. Oh, we've never been to South Africa, but it's somewhere that I kind of I've always wanted to go because I always hear such incredible things about it and. I know it's a very beautiful and very interesting place and there's lots of nature and wildlife and yeah, and it's just somewhere that I've, that's always really intrigued me. So maybe one day we'll have to come down and pay you a visit. Oh yeah, a cup of tea. <laughs> I hope so. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I wonder if we could just like dive straight into it and, you know, for everyone listening, 
we all have, of course, said this in the intro, but Chris, you have lost your sight and you lost your sight when you were 40 years old. It just it went completely because of a virus. And I'm wondering if you could share the series of events that led on to that day and how did you lose your sight? Right. Yeah, let me get into the story. So I'd, I'd worked for most of my adult career as a professional chef and a chef trainer. And I was tired of sweating and swearing behind a grill and dealing with labor issues and all that and decided that I'd, I'd like to have an adventure and, and write a story. But unfortunately, I, I came to realize very quickly that I'm not creative enough to just thumb suck the story. So I had to go and live the adventure first. And my choice of adventure was to ride all the way from Cape Town, South Africa, to Dublin Island. There were a few reasons. Uh, there's a children's hospital here that I'd had a relationship with. And I wanted to do a publicity stunt for them and raise a bit of funds. And in Dublin is Our Lady's Children's Hospital. They have this kind of informal brother-sister relationship. But also, I'd never had a Guinness. So I thought, let me go and try my first Guinness. The crazy <laughs> thing is that I decided to, to do this on a tiny little two-stroke Vespa scooter. Um, because, you know, let's face it, if wow. you're just another guy on a big motorbike traveling across the continents, you're just not going to get the same, you know, attention, press. You're not going to get noticed as much. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the trip went very well, but sadly, while crossing Africa, I contracted a virus. I had to, to come home and have medical attention. They, they, they didn't diagnose things correctly, so they pumped me full of vitamins and a couple of courses of antibiotics, sent me back, and I finished the trip. Eight months, 20 countries, 32,000 kilometers with no support vehicle. And um, for the second half of the trip, my life was falling apart. I was getting sicker and sicker. And... Uh, Came back home to, to Cape Town. I was living just in, in, on the edge of the city then. And uh, yeah, for the next uh, six, seven months, it was just hospitals, specialists, lumbar punctures, chest x-rays, MRIs, scans, so many blood tests that I, I lost count. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me until my sight very suddenly disappeared. And yeah, it went from have, having perfect sight to having nothing but a starless night. And... Um, I thought my life was over at that point. <laughs> wow. You, you know, you mentioned that you felt like your life was over, which I can imagine that there was just this grieving process. Like, how did you grieve? How did you, you know, just process this? And also, what was it like then getting used to life just now with four senses? Yeah, look, it, it was tough. It was really hard because not only had I gone blind, but I'd become quite weak and quite ill. I wasn't able to walk. I was not able to get to the toilet myself, things like that. So I had a girlfriend at the time. Before my trip, I told her that I may die. This is a reality across the continent on a little scooter. Who knows what can go wrong? Of course, I didn't even for a second ponder the idea that I might go blind. That was just foreign. In fact, I'd never even met another blind person until I, I'd become one myself. So it was probably a good thing that I was so weak and so um, incapacitated because if, if I could have, I, I would have just run out in front of a truck or done something stupid. But the fact that I was bedridden for a few months and had to you know, learn how to walk again. I remember going home and the first night I tried to shower on my own. I fell over in the shower. And I realized I couldn't shower. I had to, I had to bath. Um, and I did for a long time because balance was gone. So you lose so much when you, when you lose your sights. You, you, 
Depth is gone. Balance is gone. You, you, you're not used to using those, those four remaining senses. So you have to refocus. And um, it was a big learning curve. It was a massive learning curve. It took me about a year to, to kind of put my life back together to the point that I was able to move around and able to do things. And I started cooking a little bit, just using adaptive <laughs> systems like a chopping an onion on a plate rather than on a cutting board so the pieces have a rim and they don't fly off onto the floor. It, it was it was baby steps. And there were many head bumps, many glasses knocked on the floor and things like that. But time heals so much. And, and eventually I got to the point where I had to realize, or I came to realize that I've got a choice. I either have to find a way to, to live as a blind man in a world designed for the sighted or I'm just going to stay in prison for the rest of my life. Yeah, I find it really hard to imagine that because as like a sighted person, and I'm sure you were the same, you assume that once you lose your sight, you become helpless and you're in constant need of aid. But since becoming blind, you've kind of disproven that because you've done some absolutely incredible things since becoming blind. I just wonder if you could explain some of the the trips and some of the things that you've managed to do that might surprise people that shouldn't surprise people but might yeah Adam you know it was it was hard and it's still very hard at times it's very frustrating but I came to realize that that not only do I become this accessibility advocate if I do think being an, an you know an accidental accessibility advocate I have to kind of stand up for for what the sighted community thinks the blind community is capable of. And so not only do I have to do things, I have to do hectic things. So I remember reading a book, it's a, called A Sense of the World. It's about a 19th century blind traveler that was the first known blind man to circumnavigate the world. And he did all sorts of amazing things. He's, he lost his sight at 17 years old and the doctor's diagnosis wasn't too clear, so he sent him to see specialists and they weren't clear and he, he just wasn't happy. So he ended up going and putting himself through through medical college and becoming a doctor himself. And then realized at that point, he still had no answers. One of his professors said to him, James, his name was James Holman. Why don't you go and travel the world and you know, get a little bit of sun? That'll do you good because this is clearly not working. And I had this dream to, to kind of replicate what he did. So the first trip that I started planning as a blind person, as a blind adventurer, was a, a modern-day step in his footsteps. So his, his first journey was a journey around the Tyrrhenian Sea, basically Sicily, Italy, across France, and down to Spain. And today we have Google, we have Uber, we have Airbnb, we have all of those things. So you'd think it would be a lot easier. But I quickly came to realize that he had a lot of advantages as well. Um, for example, he was able to hear a horse cart coming from miles away. Um, he'd hear people walking with their hard-soled shoes. And if he knocked mm. on the door at 9 p.m. at night, he probably would have been invited in for a meal and, and given a bed, whereas I would have probably had the armed response hauling uh, me away. And, and <laughs> there was a time in, in Tuscany when an electric police car nearly knocked into me because I, of course, couldn't see it, and they didn't realize that. I was blind. So there's, there's a lot of challenges to living as a blind person today, just as there were many, many decades ago. But I quickly realized that I can still live as a blind person. 
So I, I kind of put myself up there and I started doing these things. I did a TED talk, first one in Africa by a blind person. And I realized that this could actually be a way to, to quote the, the, the famous motorcycle traveler, Sam Manicom, of how to find a way of turning the stumbling blocks into stepping stones. One challenge leads to another. As you, as you, even while I was on my scooter trip, I started to think about what's next. I just had to adapt that a little bit and think in a different way of what's next. Mm -hmm. I've driven cars, I've pedaled, I've paddled, I've climbed um, Mount Etna, the actual volcano in Sicily, while it was erupting and the snow was falling around us. I've hiked across Grand Forest in Tuscany, mm -hmm. kayaked the Tyrrhenian Sea. I've driven around a Formula One racetrack, 22 different vehicles, um, back Whoa. to back, everything from a horse, from a horse to a Porsche. I've driven a, a um, 100,000 pounds Land Rover brand new up buck with the mayor <laughs> um, <laughs> on a stretch of almost 100 kilometers of public road, gravel and, and, and tar. And um, sailed a boat, flown a gyrocopter, ridden horses, done all sorts of uh, amazing and epic things. And every time I do something, wow. <laughs> the, the next thing has to be a bit bigger. And, and yeah, just, just finished building, building a house for my family, myself. So... I guess it goes to prove that a blind man can do anything that a sighted person is able to. We, we might just have to encounter a few obstacles on the way. That is amazing. It's truly inspiring. And it's almost like the ultimate example of the growth mindset because so many people, regardless of you know their situation, will feel like, okay, that's not for me. I can't do that. And you know feel like they've got a path set out for themselves. It's just incredible that you even, after going through what you've been through, you have decided to push on and to live the most full life that you possibly can. And you're doing more than a lot of people. And it's just, it's really inspirational to hear. It's just amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm so curious to learn about, you know, what goes through your mind and what 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 is the mindset that you have to put yourself in. So like all of us, you know, I'm sure you have your moments of self-doubt, right? And, and 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 you're coming up with ideas of like what to do next. And you're probably coming up against obstacles where people are like, oh well we've never had a blind person operate this. And how do you push past that what is where do you get your resolve to just kind of crack on and keep going and <laughs> to prove that you can do it yeah, my biggest fear in life is not dying my biggest fear is not living it almost is like a, a bit of an addiction the more you do the more you want to do you're either growing or shrinking for me I just have to keep doing because that's how I keep living and I guess the one crazy thing leads to the next crazy thing and, and that's just the way it goes. I'm a content creator. That's what I, I like to call myself. I'm a storyteller and a content creator and the stories and the content needs to be a little bit crazy because that gets attention. That gets me on stage working as a professional speaker. It's allowed me to speak all around the globe. It gets my books sold, which is, you know, what I have to do. If, if, you, if I was riding through Africa and I wasn't on a best scooter, I wouldn't have got noticed. And if I'm not jumping off a mountain or paddling an ocean or something like that, I'm not going to get noticed. I'm just going to be another blind guy going to the shopping mall. Let me give you a quick example. I climbed Table Mountain. So Table Mountain is just, just over a thousand meters. I climbed it from sea level. Most people only climb it from about the halfway point where the parking lot is. And I climbed Lion's Head, which Adam would hate because there's all sorts of staples and ladders and chains and everything like that. So it's quite a, a hairy, hanging off the edge type vibe. 
When I'd come down, there was a post by some hikers group on social media that said, first blind guy climbed Tabor Mountain, first known blind guy climbed Tabor Mountain. And then a blind lady commented to the post saying, no, you're not the first blind person to be up Tabor Mountain because I've been up and here's a video clip of me going up with my family and all that type of thing. And I was like, you. Oh, I didn't say anything. But she went up with a cable car, didn't walk up and she didn't walk up from sea level. There's, there's very few sighted people that have walked up from sea level. And mm. it, it's, it's almost like I have to do a little bit more than even what a sighted person would do to just get noticed in any way at all. And to, to break that, that stereotype, as Adam said in the beginning, that, that the sighted people put out there that a blind person's not capable. Mm. Yeah, and I, I can imagine you know, amongst the the blind community, how your story inspires people to push themselves and believe in what they're capable of doing. Because as we've mentioned, you know, society has uh, has different views and, and different and expectations. It, different expectations. And I was just as guilty. I was just as yeah. guilty. I knew nothing. Chris, it's, it's, it's so interesting because even how we've communicated and arranging our interview, I've even just learned so much about how you navigate technology because, you know, here we are from, you know, like across continents and you're doing everything yourself. And I catch myself going like, oh, of course. And do you know what the thing was that was most surprising to me? was when you when you messaged and you said, Oh, I've been I've been watching your your videos and I've really enjoyed them and I just caught myself being like, Wait, what? He's watching our videos and he's enjoying them because of how we describe what we see <laughs> and that you can still appreciate our films. But I have to admit, I just completely disregarded that I mean let let's put it this way. There are people that just have a knack for storytelling and there are people that do it because they have to do it it's a means to an end, it's a job or whatever reason that they're forced into doing it. There's people that are passionate. You guys climb a mountain. You were in the Dolomites. You spoke about these, these fingers of rock. You describe things in such a nice way. And you have to have a natural gift for that. You either, you'd either got it or you haven't got it. So well done, guys. You, you seem to have it. The, the clips that I have managed to watch are very descriptive. Well, that's very kind of you to say thank you. And we're really glad that you can en enjoy them. It's, it's nice to know. We just want to say a quick thank you to you, our community, and for those of you who have taken the time to leave us reviews. And this week's review of the week comes from Vicky. She wrote, I absolutely love listening to these podcasts from two of my favorite adventurers. Their podcasts are interesting, informative, descriptive, and humorous. Each week they invite like-minded adventurers to tell their own travel experiences, some of which sound quite remarkable. Their YouTube channel is fabulous. Their filming of their adventures, so professional. Tanya and Adam make a wonderful team, each with their own expertise and sense of fun. Thank you so, so much, Vicky. It That's really so means a lot. <laughs> and yeah, we really appreciate it. Apple Podcasts, leave us a review there, guys. Yep, it helps the podcast out tremendously. So thank you. And on with the conversation. So something I'd really like to speak about is, obviously you were off on your adventure on your scooter whilst you contracted this virus. It's easy to imagine wanting to stay at home going okay that's enough adventure for a lifetime i'm gonna just rest i'm gonna like look after myself and just live a nice kind of like quiet 
peaceful, simple life. With no risk. With no risk, <laughs> exactly. But that is the absolute polar opposite to what you have gone and done. Why? Why is it important? I mean, you've spoken about it from getting noticed, inspiring other blind people. But why is it that you want to do it for yourself? Yeah, look, I mean, you talk about that risk. Everything is calculated. And generally, you know, it's, it all works on economics. It's a ratio. The, the chances of me riding through Africa and ending up going blind was so, mm. so small. Unfortunately, mm. it happened. So I don't do things just, just like I'm not going to climb Mount Everest. I'm never going to climb Mount Everest. I'll say that right now because they are horrific stories of, of deaths and everything. And for me, there have, there have been blind people up there. It's been two. One made it down. The other didn't. There's nothing that I'm going to benefit from doing that because that's just something, you know, it's almost like an ego thing. Hey, I've been to the top of Everest. Cool. Great. There's a blind guy that's been up. He's the first blind guy. He made it down. I'm not even going to think about doing that. The stuff that I do might seem crazy, but it's all very calculated. If, if I'm paddling, I'm training, I'm prepared. I'm putting the sighted mm -hmm. guide at my side that the best possible person. When I paddled the river, for example, I had one of the best in the world with me. When I went around that track, I had a, a sighted guide for each of those 22 laps and they were comfortable and competent and plan to fail, fail to plan. And I plan to never, ever fail. So. Mm -hmm. I, I tend to do things that are calculated, but more so than that, if I don't do things, I find that more uncomfortable. It almost, if, if I'm just stagnant and I don't have a project I'm working on, something I'm rebuilding, something I'm making or creating or dreaming. Next week, for example, I'm, I'm spending the, a week on the back of a new Husqvarna Norton expedition motorcycle and creating a story for an article for a motorcycle magazine. If, if I'm not doing that type of thing, I'm just going to be dreaming about doing those something. And, and you get people that dream and you get people that do. I, I don't want to dream and then be that old guy sitting in my stoop one day talking to my grandkids about all the things I wish I had done rather than all the things that I had actually done. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, it does. It very much does. I guess the thing that I was trying to get at is that even when adventure took your sight away, you still didn't lose your sense of adventure. And I think that that's inspiring. And it's very easy to imagine that your journey could have gone a different way after that had happened to you. Sadly, for most people, it does go a different way. So I need to almost become this like role model to show that it doesn't have to, you don't have to end up being trapped in your little bubble and your life being over. You don't, just because you can't see, you, you can see in a different way. You just have to learn how to, interpret that that way and hey the best the best thing mm -hmm. is that i never have to be the designated driver <laughs> <laughs> nice every cloud <laughs> every cloud has a silver lining i love it and and i love how you describe that is that you see things in a different way because i think you know our understanding is that when you lose your your sight, your other four senses become amplified. And I'm really interested to hear from you, like your description of how you then experience the world and the beauty of the world. So when you go off and you're in a kayak in the sea, like what, what is the, the, the picture of the world that you're seeing that perhaps as a sighted person that we're missing out on because our other four senses are just not as in tune. So Tanya, you're right and you're wrong. The other senses don't become amplified as such. They just, I use them, I focus on them. 
So imagine that you have a certain amount of RAM or bandwidth and you focus that mm-hmm. um, site accounts for 75 to 80% of your use sensors. Mm-hmm. So if I'm out there, like you said, on that kayak, as you know, on the ocean, I'll feel so many other things. Now, I'm going to give you an example in a minute, but on that kayak, I might smell walking down to the launch site. I might smell suntan lotion from people. I might smell an ice cream or yeah, the joy of children on the beach that are mm-hmm. running, playing, kicking a ball, throwing frisbee. Then I'll hear a dog running, splashing in the waves. <laughs> I'll smell the stench of rotting kelp on the shore. I'll hear a boat's horn in the distance. I'll sense the direction of the breeze, the sun, all those things. Then I'll feel the the coarseness of the sand, the shingle, muscle shells, iciness of the water on my toes, launching the kayak, I'll feel the motion of the the wave. And that, for example, you know, the, your wave is always parallel to the shoreline, so I'll know where I am. The sun will tell me where I am. The wind direction will tell me where I am. So there's so many other things that I use to draw the image. It, it's not that, yes, I see nothing but black. Yes, that's that starless night. But in my mind, an image is drawn as I'm sure it would have been just through how I described walking to that launch site and getting out in the waves. It's just a different way of creating a painting and creating a story. Would you like me to tell you the story now? Please <laughs> oh do. Oh my God. And I, I'm, I, you know what? It was so, it's so interesting because before you get onto that, as you were describing all of that, I felt so relaxed and already feeling like closing my eyes because you're so descriptive yeah. in 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 those I, I i i i can hear the kids in the background and and i and i can feel what that sound feels like in between my toes i mean and of course this is why you're a brilliant author because you you really hone in on those details and you really paint a picture and isn't that beautiful how you describe things means that for me my instinct is to close my eyes to yeah. to be there yeah, it's amazing, and it's. Well, you like... guys seem to do it naturally. <laughs> you guys seem to do it naturally without even being aware of it. <laughs> I love also. Sorry, just before we get onto the story that I really do want to hear, um, it's almost like a lesson for everybody to just not ignore the other senses. Like you say, was it seventy percent of your brain is attuned to sight? If you just close your eyes and focus on your other senses, that you can have just a more full experience of the environment that you're in and I think it's so easy for us to just overlook like sounds and smells and only kind of half be in the moment and half be in the environment that we're in and I think it's just yeah it's just not to take the other senses for granted I suppose because you're able to live a full lived experience through them and a lot of people can just ignore them and just focus mostly anyway on sight. Yeah and sometimes by by focusing a little bit on the other senses, you do see things in a, in a, in a different way, which sometimes is more clearly. It's mm. just, you know, I often say it took going blind for me to see things more clearly. It's not so much that. It's more a case of for me to see things properly, like more clearly, because mm-hmm. there were things that I didn't notice when I was sighted. And, and that that will bring me to my story. Mm-hmm. When I went, back to Sicily because I obviously I was there with my Vespa scooter and became like a rock star. You ride a Vespa scooter across the continents and you land in Italy, then you're a hero amongst the Italians. So I made many friends who 
they, they, they called me Christophori, the Grande Christophori. They loved it. So I had to take Tamlin, my partner, there. And we had to, um, you know, experience a little bit. But I was, I was both excited about the trip, but also a little bit nervous because I didn't want to jade the image that I had of a place or change it. It's the best thing I ever did because I saw things way differently and I noticed so much more that I hadn't noticed when I was sighted. Hmm. Did you know that every church bell in Europe has a totally different sound, totally different chime? It rings like a lighthouse sends out a different beacon and it's got different um, you know, flashes and rotations and, and um, heights and things like that. So for, for different ships, you'll be able to look at a chart and know that they're at that lighthouse. A church bell has a totally different tone. I didn't know that when I was sighted. I just heard guang, guang, dong, ding, ding. That was it. <laughs> and when you walk in in a town like Catania in Sicily, the roads are much more textured. The building, the brickwork, if you run your hands on it, it's much more textured because it's all built out of volcanic rock. Whereas if you're walking in Palermo, it's more of a smooth, um, like, a, like a granite um, with a lot of quartzite in it. And the roads then become a little bit more slippery when they're wet because the, the cobblestones are not as um, as grippy. And the smells of the different foods when you're in one town, one village, the next village, um, as soon as you cross from, from Italy into France, there's a totally different set of tones, different perfume, different floral fragrances, different smells from the bakeries because the Italian ones are much sweeter, the French ones are more savory. Um, French bakeries, if it's sweet, it'll be a specific only sweet one, whereas the Italian one will be a blend. I just noticed so many different things with my eyes closed, things that I never took notice of when I could see because I was just, oh, look, oh, there we go, cool. I see something, that's it. Happiness, done. Yeah. And you switch off. You switch off the other senses. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm so fascinated about the, the church bells and how you describe, yeah, the sweetness of the bread and how that's different. It, it, again, you're absolutely right. It's just things that we would overlook and I really love how you, you, you phrase that, like that it took me going blind to see things clearly or to have a fuller picture. I love it. I, it feels like when you describe things in the way that you do, Chris, there's just this, uh, what's this feeling of just calm? Bliss. Yeah. yeah, bliss. Yeah, I guess that's the storyteller in me. It's too, it's too much time reading books by people like Gerald Durrell because it's made me want to describe the sun as not just the sun sank down into the sea. I want to talk about the sky turning merlot and amber and then eventually black and at this golden ball of fire melting into the ocean. And it's just, that's, I guess, the storyteller in me. But even when I now watch, and I'm using the word watch, don't judge me, watch a sunset, I just feel it because I feel the temperature change. The wind always drops just around sunset and everything just seems to be calmer. The birds go down to, you know, to rest in their nests and stuff like that. So it's, it's even something as simple as that, that you would think, well, a blind person can't appreciate that. Hmm. Guess what? Hmm. It's not true. I can. It's just in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'd love to talk to you now, just going back to your specific adventures that you've done. You're constantly trying to add to yourself, as you said, but have there been moments where you've gone, whoa, that was cool, and I, I can't believe I did that? 
It's it's always like that. There's been moments where I've gone, what the hell am I doing here? This is crazy. <laughs> I, I grew up as a little chubby kid and I became a chubby adult. And, and I've, I've never been the fittest and strongest person. But I do train well. I do prepare well and I calculate everything. There's been moments where I've been like, damn, I can't believe I actually did that. You know, when you reach a summit of a big mountain, it's it's epic. It feels fantastic. Even though going down is harder than going up. Yes. <laughs> you might well know. Yes. There, there's, been, there's been things that are very cool. Um, driving that Land Rover cool. Going around the track was cool. I've done some big, big kayak trips and big cycle trips. There's a big cycle ratio called Cape Town Cycle Tour. It's, it's just over 100 kilometers. And the year that we did it was 2020. 2020, I did 20 different challenges. That was one of the 12 challenges. And how ironic is it that 2020 means perfect sight. So that that's why I did these 20 <laughs> different challenges. You know, the, the climbing table on the horse riding, blah, blah, blah. And that cycle tour, I hadn't been on a bicycle since I was about 13 years old. And I could see then, I had to learn so much in, in a tandem. They, they call it a, a divorce machine because if you're on a tandem <laughs> with your partner, you will become divorced. But I was with a, with a mate of mine and we... We became, we became good mates and every year they have a special category for visually impaired riders. And mm -hmm. on 2020, we won that class, but we also came last because we were the only one in that class. So, <laughs> you know, it, it just like to be able to say, I've done the cycle tour, epic. I've done the racetracks. I've done the paddles. I've sailed a boat. That's what really gives me a little bit of like, I guess it's leaving a bit of a legacy. I don't want a. I spoke at an event in Cape Town a couple of weeks ago, a fundraiser for guide dogs. And I was talking about my, my guide dog, Sam, and our life together and, and listing all these amazing things that I've done and everything. And the audience were all in awe when they came up to me afterwards. Wow, it's so inspirational. And inspirational is, you know, it's actually, what do I inspire you to do? If you tell me I inspire you, then I inspire you to do something. Tell me what. But there were a few blind people in the, in the audience. And when I was on my way out the door, they were all brought to me and they were like, we need to do things like you're doing because we think that just the fact that we've made it to work or just the fact that we were able to go shopping on our own made us feel good. And I said, well, don't take that, you know, don't lose that. That's, that's important because mm -hmm. different strokes for different folks. But yes, you, you don't let the sighted community tell you that that's it for you because it's not. You can do whatever you want. Just mm. try there's a lot of difference between being blind from birth and losing your sight later in life. And then also there's what most people don't realize is there's 300 million, just over 300 million is the last official number of blind people in the world. But to be classed as blind, you need to be visually impaired to a certain point. Mm -hmm. There's less than 4% that have absolutely zero light perception that are totally blind. Oh, if wow. you have a little bit of light perception, you can tell where a door is, you can tell where a wall is, you can tell Sometimes even where a curb is, you can tell if something's moving, if there's something in your way. So, you know, such a wide spectrum of abilities of the blind community. And it's hard to say, you know, this person can do this, this person can't do this. There's no way I'm going to ride a bicycle in New York on the sidewalk. It's, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Eric Guaynamana, he's this guy who climbed Everest. Brilliant. He's a legend. There's no way I'm going up Everest, but perhaps he wouldn't be as comfortable in a a super fast car yeah. going for a, a land speed record or something like that or, or taking control of a gyrocopter and doing 360 degree turns in the air 
Well, I definitely wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I can't see it. That's why it's okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just like I said, I don't have to be the designated driver. You know, Tamlin, who's now my wife, is always going to look like 29-year-old to me. So, you know, there, there there are many advantages. (laughs) <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> That's such a good fun. I'm I'm also interested selfishly. I think it's called what is it? Assistance technology devices, things that help you navigate the world, and I find that incredibly interesting. I'd love for you to describe how you navigate just day-to-day stuff using technology. So a lot of the devices have actually got it built in. It's accessible technology. So for example, your iPhone or your MacBook has a program called VoiceOver, which is like a screen reader. And this allows me to do pretty much everything. The difficulty comes, (laughs) and this is where the challenge is, when you open an app and the buttons are not labels, because then I don't know which one to select, because it just says button or link, or uh, I can hear a click, so I know there's something there, but I don't know what it is. That is really interesting, is these things that can be optimized that can just make accessibility just that much easier and just more inclusive. And then if you think about it, if the best possible person in the world for you to employ, you run a call center or an administrator position or whatever, because that blind person, they're not going to be looking at the newspaper, looking at the job ads every five minutes. They're going to be so damn grateful <laughs> they've got a position. You're going to be a dedicated, hardworking employee. Yet in the world, less than one and a half percent of blind people are gainfully employed. Oh. That's not right, man. That's not right. That's not right. Talking of employability, like you have managed to build a house. And I'm wondering if you could talk about (laughs) how you manage that, because I feel like I could learn a a thing or two from you. Okay. So firstly, let me tell you this. Put me on a kayak, put me on a bicycle, put me on a mountain, on a boat, in a fast car, any day. No problem. (laughs) Put me on a building site. Man, it's 10 times harder than anything else I've ever done. It was really, really, really tough. I started with my little boy who was a baby at the time with his Lego trying to design a house. And whatever you think you're going to spend, you're going to spend more than double. (laughs) However long you think it's going to take, it's going to take more than double. And and not only was it a a tough project and being in a, a relatively remote little village, but I also had a cameraman follow me around for for the entire time because we filmed the entire production for uh, one of our local satellite channels. And it still wasn't exactly <laughs> correct. <laughs> but we built a beautiful home. Yes, it's, exactly. It's a great home. Yeah, yeah. And and it's in a beautiful, beautiful area. There's a, a lagoon very close that I could paddle solo on, about a 20-kilometer, 22-kilometer paddle around this Robin Island, which was when Nelson Mandela was in prison. It's, you run across shipping lanes, all sorts of things. We have mountains. We have wine farms. We have whales. Um I want to do it independently. Me, me and Sam. Me and Sam with the guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and how long have you sat, had Sam? Sam has been with me for about nine months now. He oh. is um, he's smart, sure-footed, steady, selfless. Uh, he's also a bit of a slipper-stealing scoundrel. He's, he's a great <laughs> dog. And he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's awesome. Also, I always do that when I do my talks. That's it. This is, Sam is my chocolate lab, and of course the audience gasps and says, "No, no, no!" And I, hey, he's a white chocolate lab. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Um, and yeah, it's, it, look, a guide dog is great. It gives you a lot of freedom to move quickly, and he becomes the extension that that mobility cane is only capable of doing so much. Mm. I resisted a guide dog for many, many years. They 
eventually were trying to throw one down my throat and I was, you know, okay, maybe, maybe I'm ready. I'm, I'm now settled in a little village. It's a much better place to walk with a guide dog. If I had any idea what an asset Sam would be, I would have been knocking the door down many years oh. earlier because he's, he's a rock star. And he oh. likes to kayak and climb mountains and go to the beach. And he's, he's, he's like a little adventure dog. So that what a legend. That's amazing. There's something really beautiful about that because the bond between humans and dogs, they really are man's best friend. I, I love dogs so much. And one of the reasons that we are excited to be more settled and more rooted rather than doing the full-time traveling at some point in the future is to have a dog. We have got a dog with us in the van at the moment, but he can only come with us for certain trips and he's not with us the whole time. It's Tanya's mum's dog. And yeah, there's just something special about being with a dog. Yeah, look, I've got two Cocker Spaniels and, <laughs> and they're, they're you know, not anything like Sam. The handful. Um, the one's a little bit of a, he's a little dickhead, we call him. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a naughty, naughty little boy. Both of them are rescue dogs. I rescued the one and then they no. said, oh, you've got a Cocker Spaniel. We've got another one. So we, we got another one. And I didn't realize how much a well-bred, well-trained dog would make a difference. It's real. It made us realize <laughs> how bad a dog's our Cocker Spaniels are. We love them dearly. And that, you know, Sam's the rock star here. He actually is, he's like a normal dog. He plays and he runs and he has fun. And then as soon as I put the harness on him, it's like, game face on we work in and no. his tail goes and he just focuses it's he loves what he does a lot of people think it's like you know an abusive thing to do to an animal well i can assure you once he's got that harness on he's the happiest happiest as happy as a pig in poo <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing yeah i bet you were relieved if you were i can imagine because i know cocker spaniels are just nightmare dogs they could they're crazy their energy is crazy they're just all over the place and i can understand if that was your reference towards what a dog is not wanting a third one in the house <laughs> as a guide dog oh no i bet you there's people oh, listening who have cocker spaniels i love, love cocker spaniels i love our, cocker our spaniels are good i'm just comparing them to sam as the rock star dog of yeah. all so it's hard yeah. <laughs> yeah well i you know on the theme of sam and and him being the extension of you and you being a team, your support system, your then girlfriend, now wife, your family, your friends, you know, this experience must have been hard for for everybody. Can, can you talk to us about the support system? Yeah, look, the first thing that I'll say to that is there were many people that I thought were, were friends that weren't. So it's not that I lost any friends. I just lost people that weren't actually friends. Um, behaviors are, are shocking and, and it was a case of people choosing to not say anything because they didn't know what to say mm. and th that's hard because sometimes it's better to say anything than, than nothing but mm. people that are my friends since I'm blind they chose me the way I am they know the struggles they know that they're gonna have to point out the, the toilet to me and uh, mm. just get me moving in the right direction they know they're gonna have to be careful where they leave their empty glass on the table and things like mm. that and that's fine. As far as family in that go, I don't have a big family, but Samlin, who, who yes, became my fiance shortly before I went blind and then eventually became my wife while I was blind. And we have a four-year-old son now who I will never see, but apparently looks like me as a kid. So that's cool. And he's definitely a naughty little thing like me. <laughs> so that's fine. She was at my side when I lay in that hospital bed and I kind of just wished that I would just go to sleep and not wake up. Every time I was at that point, her hand was there on mine. She mm. just seemed to 
arrive at the right times and all those struggles, all those falling moments, knocking things over, she was there. So I'm very, very, very lucky to, to have someone like that, that could be the, I guess the catalyst, give me a reason to, to want to be better. Mm-hmm. I imagine without that, sure, that'd be, that'd be tough. I met a guy who, who lost his wife. He had a motorcycle accident and went blind and she left him in, in the hospital and he had so much anger about that. And he, he thought that his, his life was over. And the one day, his name was Rudy, was lying was back to the person in the bed next to him. And the guy called over and said, excuse me, sir, can you help me, please? And he was like, is Scott talking to me? And he's like, no, excuse me, excuse me. And he just kept ignoring him. And the guy got loud and he says, please, can you help me? Hello, you in the bed next to me can help me. And he turned over and he blasted this guy. What do you think? I'm blind. Can't you see? What, what good am I to you? Whatever. And he turned back over. And then the voice came again. The guy said, so I know you're blind, but I've also had an accident. I've lost both my arms and both my legs. And I just need you to please press the button to call a nurse so I can go to the toilet. And Rudy like sat up and he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he scrounged around. He found the button. He pressed the button. And, and over the next few months, Rudy and, and the guy with, without the arms and legs who lost his limbs became friends. And, and Rudy would push the guy in the wheelchair and take him to the canteen and, and Rudy would take his wallet out and he would describe what the money was and Rudy would then pay and help him, you know, with his candy bar or whatever they, they, they ate and they, they became friends and they still are friends today. And Rudy today is, is a fisherman. He had a fishing boat before and he has now just got a skipper, but he manages the fishing boat and he goes out with them regularly, he sells the fish, he does all the, the, the tech around promoting it. He lost someone but it was the wrong person, but he found other people that are the right people. Yeah. Wow. I'm really sorry to hear that you did lose those people. And it's disappointing. very disappointing. It's disappointing, but it's better. Yeah. And do you know what's kind of like funny to me and, and sometimes you know, gives me a little bit of a chuckle is that they'll say something to me or describe something to me or you know, they'll say, oh, no, it's just over there. And they're like, ah, you know, I forget that you're blind. That's, that's like the biggest compliment that anyone can do because they do. They, they, they yeah. don't think of me as a blind guy. I don't think of myself as a, a disabled guy because I'm blind. Yeah. Blind people have, you know, they're even afraid to use the word blind because they think, oh, it's so you must be what visually impaired, whatever. And if you're blind, you're blind. If you've got a disability, you've got a disability. That's the, the you know, the mm. raw bones of it all. But it's not the person suffering the challenge that's the biggest challenge. It's the way the world perceives it. So you can do whatever you want to do. I think that's amazing. I think, you know, you've demonstrated it time and time again that you just exceed what people might expect of you. And yeah, hats off to you. It's just amazing to hear. You have a choice. You can look at it as a challenge and try to overcome the challenge or you can look at it as a stop sign. There's no stop signs for me. When I no longer can, then I will no longer do. The fact that I'm blind now uh, and have been for the last nine years doesn't mean that I'm not able to do the things I always want to do. I'm an adventurer who went blind. I'm an adventurer. I went blind and that's just something that happened. It's not going to stop me. Yeah, amazing. That's so beautiful. beautiful. There's the uh, there's the quote that we can use to promote <laughs> this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'd love to just talk to you about just your favorite travel memory, anything, regardless, like, 
whether it was before you were blind or after being blind, anything. Just just some of your favorite moments from traveling. So let's talk about something I mentioned earlier. So when we were in Sicily, in Catania, which is one of my, my favorite places, we climbed Mount Etna. And we were traveling on the verge of the season, as, as you guys like to, because it's time when there are not the crowds there. But that unfortunately meant that there was a lot of snow on top of, of Etna. And the reason that I wanted to climb Mount Etna is because that famous blind explorer that traveled around the world, James Holman, climbed Mount Vesuvius. And Vesuvius is no longer open to climbing, and Etna is. Etna's bigger anyway, so I just wanted to one up on it. So we climbed Mount Etna. It had been erupting, so there was still some liquid lava flowing in places, but not anywhere that was of danger to us. But there was steam rising, and the snow was melting. When snow starts melting, it becomes ice. It was a torturous climb. We actually ended up being evacuated off the mountain because it got oh. too too hairy. But the moment I want to talk about is when we got down back to the car park. We were really cold. It's one of the coldest I've been in my life. There were icicles on my face. We'd bought some slices of pizza on the bus trip up when it had stopped. And the pizza was a little bit frozen that we, we ate. So it was kind of like a pizza icicle. <laughs> But we were so hungry, we just ate it. It was one of the best pizza that, that I've ever eaten. And then we went into this little place, purely because they had a fire roaring. I don't really drink coffee, but I love a good hot chocolate. So if you imagine a hot chocolate that's kind of like a hot chocolate mousse, because that's how thick this hot chocolate was. I couldn't drink it out of eat it with a spoon. It was dark and rich and had a little bit of a tinge of orange. Oh. I sat there looking at the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen, my now wife. She's a freckled ginger head, gorgeous, gorgeous woman. Mm. And life was perfect. Life was perfect. I didn't need to see her. I, I didn't need to see the hot chocolate. I didn't need to see this bubbly woman behind the counter because I could know, I knew they were smiling because they were so cheerful. They were so proud of what they served. When they put down the hot chocolate, I, I didn't need to see that mountain. I'd felt it. I'd felt it in the bones. My marrow was like slushy. Everything about that moment just told me, you're okay. You see the world in a different way. You're okay. Mm -hmm. So that, And it's not just that moment. There's so many of, of those moments that have happened where there's something chaotic that turns into something beautiful, I guess. And I'm addicted to travel, mm -hmm. to go and get lost so that I can find my way. You never get lost, never get a chance to find your way. Oh, I love it. Oh, if this doesn't sell your books, I don't know what will. <laughs> I do have one question before we wrap up and we talk about how people can find your books and all of that. How did you become known as the blind scooter guy? <laughs> okay. So Chris is quite a, a common name. And if I'd pick up the phone and I'd phone people and say, hey, it's Chris, the response would often be, which Chris? Because Chris was, yeah. <laughs> generally, you, you've got a few Chris's in your, your address book. So I'd always say, hey, it's Chris the scooter guy. Because I had a whole collection of vintage Vespa scooters. I was a collector and enthusiast, threw my money at them. And, and so I kind of became known as Chris the scooter guy. And then people started saying, oh, it's Chris the blind guy. I said to Tamlin, whoa, this is really bad. Like, Chris the blind guy. She said, but you are Chris the blind guy, but you're still Chris the scooter guy. You're Chris, the blind scooter guy. So that's yeah. where the title to the first book came from, how I became the blind scooter guy. I love it. And yeah, I love that the fact that Chris, the blind guy, just it not enough. Listening to your 
story and your life story, it sounds like your life has just been constantly getting better and better and better and you just happen to become blind in the middle of it. And I'm sure it's not as simple as that, of course, because it's been an absolute journey, but you sound like just an overwhelmingly happy person. And positive. And positive. I promise you, and most of the time I'm a real dickhead, but <laughs> sometimes I'm good. <laughs> well, I know we've taken up a lot of your time already and thank you so much for this conversation because we've absolutely loved it. Before we go, how can people connect with you and follow along your adventures and also where can they get their hands on your books? Cool, yeah. So I pretty much earn a living now as a speaker and as a writer. So if anyone wants a speaker for an event, they can reach out to me. My website is ChristopherFenter.com. And that'll link to my social media pages. So, in fact, any Google search on Christopher Fenter, you'll, you'll find me. And my books, so I have two. The first one is called How I Became the Blind Scooter Guy. And the second is Sightless from Sicily to Southern France. The third book, I'm busy with the editor at the moment. And while we're editing that, I'm writing the fourth. So hopefully by the end of the year, there'll be another another one, possibly another two out. And, and those will be the story of my, my 20 challenges in 2020, um, my bike, work and boot. And, and my Building Blind project. And that you can also look at YouTube. You can just Google Building Blind and you'll, you'll find clips of it, of how a blind guy shouts at contractors on a building site and at the end of the day <laughs> gets a house out of it. <laughs> Great. Sounds very good. Well, thank you so, so much. We'll, of course, leave links to all of that in the show notes. And our last question for you is you got to pick a secret code emoji, which is the emoji that people will use to reach out to either us or to you on Instagram or both to let you know that they've listened to the conversation so that you know where they're coming from. Do you know emojis is quite funny for a blind person because the audio description <laughs> is sometimes not too accurate. So you know that little like hang tin sign with your pinky finger and your thumb hanging out and everyone saying, hey, cool, surfer dude. Well, to me, it says, please call me. <laughs> and sometimes people send me happy smiley faces with with stars and everything and it's like this man loves you or something like that so it's quite funny but so, so i tend to avoid the emojis but i believe there's a new one out and it's actually a person with a guide dog walking so if you can find that one we'll make that the emoji of amazing choice. thank you so much for joining Sonia, us you did you did you have sent me a few i love you ones already in the last few days <laughs> by the way <laughs> tanya <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you very much, cool. Chris. Thank, thank you. you, guys. Thanks. A lot of fun. Have a great day for the child. Bye. Bye. The Adventure Mindset Podcast is hosted by us, Tanya and Adam. This episode was produced by Jenny Watts and edited by Kat Emerson. Thank you very much for our small little team over here. And thank you to you for listening. And of course, a special thank you to our patrons for helping make the whole thing possible. Yep, you can support us on patreon.com forward slash jits into the sunset. Linked in the show notes, obviously. <laughs>